Welcome to the panel on RNZ National Distant Traffic here. State Highway 16 south of Helensville uh, is under traffic management due to flooding. South of Helensville near the intersection of Bradley Road, light vehicles are being turned away with some heavy and 4x4 vehicles able to pass. And Wellington State Highway 1, urban motorway northbound. The urban motorway is uh, due is down to one northbound lane under the Bullcott Street overbridge. Pass with care, expect delays. Today, Auckland City remains under a local state of emergency, but all heavy rain and thunderstorm warnings for Auckland and Aotea Great Barrier Island have been lifted. We talked to one resident out the west of Auckland who wants greater efforts into clearing the streams. He's been affected. National rules aren't working with Te Pāti Māori, but what if they need each other on October the 15th? Also today, the latest taxpayers' union poll is out and National could form a government with the ACT Party. So on the panel, Australian driver's licence, they're going digital. They've got the option to be digital. Is New Zealand stuck in the dark ages on that issue? And a midweek tasting for your last month. Prateek, live on air, tasted his first ever Fijoa. Wow, he said. And you asked me if Prateek could come back and taste something else. And today Prateek kindly said yes. So what else will pass his lips for the first time at 25 past four this afternoon? With me this afternoon we have Ali Jones, communications consultant, former community board member in Christchurch. Kia ora, Ali. Kia ora, how are you? Very well indeed. Also today, Jeremy Elwood, comedian MC writer, gosh, Jeremy, it's been quite a while, hasn't it? It has been. It's been a long time. And yeah. uh, Kira Ali, it's been a long time since I saw you as well. So, yeah, nice yeah, to be back, in, nice to be back you, in the building. How are you doing? Very well, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What a show we have with Ali Jones and Jeremy Alwood. Now, first on the show today, more than $30,000 has been raised through the Give a Little Support, the Fano of the Year 11 student who died in the Abbey Caves yesterday. The principal of Whangarei Boys High School issued a statement earlier today. It's really important for me to let you know how um, devastated we are that one of our whanau have lost a much-loved son um, and brother who was treasured. Um, and the impact of this tragedy is being felt widely amongst our school staff, students and wider community. And here in Auckland, there was understandably a feeling of anxiety as the rain began to pour again yesterday, bringing back those feelings from the severe flooding on January the 27th. To talk about the psychological impacts of these sort of events, we have clinical psychiatrist and Massey University Associate Professor Kirsty Ross with us. Kia ora, Kirsty. Kia ora. Well, yeah, first to this flooding, I mean, here in the RNZ office, everyone <laughs> rushed to look out the window when it started raining. Uh, Hypervigilance hyper-vi- common during these times? Absolutely, and especially with a, a natural event like this where, um, you know, th- there is no feeling of being able to stop the rain, right, because it, we're, we're talking about Mother Nature here, but it's a very um, triggering experience for people, and the hypervigilance is, you know, is really understandable when there's been something which um, actually has been genuinely traumatic, and 
that word's often used in lots of different contexts, but when we're talking about situations where people's lives have been upended in the tragedy of yesterday, um, you know, Mother Nature and natural disasters can indeed be traumatic and lead to hypervigilance and hyperarousal as well, that feeling of being incredibly on edge um, and, and watchful and really distressed. Never thought of it that way, actually, Kirsty, hyperarousal. Take mm. myself, for example, you know, <laughs> watching out the window, um, hyperarousal, wondering mm what the rain will be like in the next five, ten minutes, you really just, you couldn't relax. No, exactly. And and that's a, it's a natural um, part of what your brain is designed to do, which is, is after something which has been a really distressing experience, your brain's going to be on high alert. So it will look for signs of that threat being um, occurring again. So, um, and when you're on that high alert, then you have that classic fight-flight um, sort of response. Freeze can happen as well, that feeling of paralysis. Do we leave? Do we stay? What should we do? Feeling uncertain. Um, but also, you know, your brain will flood your body with adrenaline to get ready to do something because it's starting to see or perceive that the threat that it's experienced before is, is potentially going to happen again. So your brain is doing a very natural response, but it's incredibly um, difficult um, to, to sit with. And as I say, it's, it's a distressing experience. I'll bring the panel in very shortly, just acknowledging here, though, uh, this uh, very distressing tragedy of this yeah. uh, boy who died in uh, Abbey Caves. And I, I guess there's been a real nationwide uh, and collective outpouring of grief here as well. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a young person who was doing mm. something, you know, that was that was fun with their friends in a, in a school mm. environment, and and has lost their life. And it's, you know, when you're experiencing a grief process, there's also that shock, the denial, the bargaining. How could this happen? How do we make sure it doesn't happen again? And some of those things are incredibly important and and um, valuable things to look at over time. But in the initial aftermath where there's so much emotion going on and so much distress, um, you know, that there is a very real grief um, process happening for people. And, you know, Aotearoa New Zealand is, is, as a collective is, is very good at coming together as a community to support people who are experiencing, who are at the heart of that tragedy. Um, and we're seeing that happen now. Ellie. Yeah, look, I just want to acknowledge the loss of this uh, young man. I can't even imagine the grief and despair that his friends and family must must be going through. I mean, our, our boy's uh, 20. Well, he's not a boy, he's a young man now, 20. And, um, you know, ever since I've heard someone else say this on the program, you might have, Wallace, when, when you have kids, your life changes the way you perceive these things. And um, that's not to say if you don't have kids, you don't. But, God, I just can't imagine how they're feeling. Listening to you talk about that um, heightened sense of awareness just took me back to the earthquakes. Um, right. You know, and that was the, th the thing here is you'd, you'd have a little shake and you'd think, is this going to be a big one? Uh, then you'd have another one and think, is this the one I've got to go outside for? And then you go, go in a lift somewhere and that shakes and it's not an earthquake. But So I know exactly what you mean. You are constantly on alert and it's exhausting. So I'm so sorry to hear about this. Stay there, stay there, Kirsty. Jeremy? Yeah, Kirsty, I think, uh, I mean, the anxiety to describe um, 
and actually ties in with what you were saying about our collective nature is, uh, I mean, I, I wasn't here in January. I flew out of the country the morning that the rain started. The morning so, so I missed all of that. But when I came back, obviously, I knew people who had been affected. I heard their stories. So yesterday when it started raining and when the alerts came through, my anxiety went up because there's a sort of collective sense of, well, I got very lucky last time. Is it my turn now? You know, and I, I remember feeling that when, um, obviously, you know, I wasn't in, in Christchurch for the earthquakes, but I was down there pretty soon afterwards and went through some aftershocks. And again, you know, please, I'm not trying to take, you know, make this, but you do have that collective anxiety. You, you not only, if you've experienced it yourself is one thing, but even if you've just heard the stories and, and seen other people suffering, you can feel it. And it's almost, you know, the, it's it's also that connection you make with, I mean, going back to this tragic loss of life is... We can all remember being on school trips and, you know, being in the outdoors on on adventures like that. And so you can make that connection and just realize, you know, how how fragile things can be and how quickly things can go wrong. Kirsty? Absolutely. And you raised some such good points. And I think it's one of those things, the the more closely we identify with something, the more we can imagine ourselves in that situation, the closer that feels to to us. Um, and so, you know, as you're saying, Ali, you know, when you have children, it's not to say people who don't have children don't have empathy and and can't, you know, feel the the collective um, sense of loss as well. But I think when you know, if you've got children the same age, or you know, that, that sort of the that identifiable connection um, can make it feel closer to home. And the really tricky thing about this is that whereas earthquakes are Obviously, you know, we're known as, as shaky aisles, so it's not that this is a an uncommon event, but by the same token, it's not as frequent as rain. And so the fact that this is rain is really tricky for people because it happens so often. And again, it's that, is, is this... Is this going to stop? Is this going to keep going? At what point do we sort of, you know, are we are we in in a situation where this is going to be a problem? Um, and, you know, when you think about earthquakes... Um, in Palms North, we, we do have earthquakes relatively often, and there's a certain point during right. an earthquake where you kind of go, should we go under the door frame now? Like, it's, it's, <laughs> yes. like, at what point do you kind of go, actually, this is a problem? But, you know, we're talking about something that doesn't happen very often, but when it's rain, that's more complicated for people. Interesting perspective there, Kirsty. Nice to have you on the program. Kia ora. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Uh, there's Thanks. clinical psychiatrist Kirsty Ross there. Just on the psychological effects of uh, the last uh, oh, 24 hours. It's five to four. Uh, it is time for what we call I've Been Thinking. Ellie Jones, you first. Take it away. Uh, a friend of mine has been uh, very talking to me about being very anxious about climate change. You know, and the damage to our world. And she's my age, early thirties. Just kidding. No, she's mid fifties, uh, and she has been having trouble sleeping. This is how much it worries her at night, and she does everything she can at home uh, to try and reduce her her carbon footprint. And I feel a bit like that. But the thing that's been getting me in the same way, anxiety-wise at the moment, is the condition of our health system. You know, we have been in crisis for years. And actually, crisis makes me think of something that happens and you deal with it and you try and get out of it. That's what a crisis is. It's a peak, right? But we've been in crisis for years under both colours of central government, so many different health ministers from both sides of the house. And it's really important to have a decent, strong, effective health system. And this morning I was listening to RNZ and I was hearing the discussion around Ritalin and uh, being able to get into your GP and access to mental health, 
Last night on the news, I saw that women can't access HRT, the menopause patches. Women are having to cut them in half to use them. You know, people can't get into their GP. My point is, when in the hell is this going to be fixed? We've spent, I think, $11 billion so far on trying to fix the health system. Who is it that uh, allows it to get into this position? Who is it that has the power to change it? And why can we not do something now? I do not understand it. And it's really upsetting and stressing me. And I'm staying awake at night about it. Gosh, solutions, listeners. Two one zero one. Thank you, Ali. All right. That's an easy ask. That's a very easy ask. Solutions through now. <laughs> uh, Jeremy Alwood. Oh, mine's going to sound thinking. incredibly trivial compared to everything we've talked about so far. But I've been thinking about the depersonalisation of customer service. You know, um, I mean, it starts. You go to a supermarket now. They what well, they want you to check yourself out, all of that. But one of the ones that's been getting my goat is, um, <clears throat> and it's starting to happen more and more. When you go to a restaurant. And instead of handing you a menu, they give you – there's a QR code on the table, and they want you to get your phone out and scan that. And, you know, and in some places, you even order through that. It's like opening an app on your phone, and, and you order it. And um, I first really became aware of this. I was in North America uh, a couple of times recently, and it's, it's, it's all over the place over there. But it's starting to creep in more here. It first came in, obviously, as a way to cut down on face-to-face contact, keep social distancing. But in, I don't know. It's just taking away some of that – if I wanted to order online, I'd stay home. Um, you know, I like interacting with with a, with someone at a restaurant. Um, I really noticed it in North America because it's a tipping culture, which I have no issue with. I actually yep. have no problem tipping, except for when I've just done all the ordering on my phone. Am I tipping you just for carrying a plate from over there to over here? <laughs> what if it meant, what if it meant getting your food quicker? Well, what, what if it meant um, that just that seamless? night out where you didn't have to talk to people you didn't want to talk to. Well, this is the problem is that it makes almost every restaurant feel like a fast food restaurant. You know, if I want to go somewhere and not talk to someone and have my food quickly, there are plenty of places I can go. <laughs> if I want to go somewhere and take my time over a meal and converse with people, either go with people or go by myself and converse and, and take a time, I don't want to be pulling my but phone isn't, out. isn't that beautifully simple? Just to whip out your phone, you've got your QR code, then you've got more time to talk with your partner. Oh, is it though? I mean, I wear glasses when I read and so, you know, I, I can read a menu, but reading off a phone screen, it's, we're going to talk about this when it comes to the driver's license too. Not everything digital is easier. Do That's you agree with Jeremy there or would you prefer a QR code when you go out for an evening with your partner? 2101. It's a panel, RNZ National.